Please turn with me once more in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. For our preaching this morning, it will be the first 21 verses which we read earlier in Exodus chapter number 15. Beginning with then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. All the way down to verse number 21 which reads, And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. And our title for this morning's message is this. A delivered people praising God. A delivered people praising God. I wonder, have you ever given someone a gift? And perhaps that gift has cost you a lot of money or time or difficulty in giving that gift to other people. Perhaps you've given hospitality in your home. Perhaps you've done something very generous to someone. What if that person responds in a way that's not very grateful? Or if that person responds in a different way, perhaps they respond very thankful for that wonderful gift. We know that it can be hurtful, can't it, when we have done something sacrificial, something difficult for someone else, and it has not been received with thanks. We teach our children, don't we, parents here, we want them to be grateful for the things that they've been given. If they have a job, if they have money, if they have a roof over their heads, we try to teach them to be a people who are grateful and thankful. Because we know what happens to children, especially, if they're not thankful. They won't be content. They will complain and grumble. And we can be a lot like that too. I don't want to be just picking on the children. Us adults, we can complain sometimes if we don't see what we are to be thankful for. Now, who has given you more in all this world? Now, you may think of your parents. Yes, your parents have given you many, many things. We may not realize it at times. I think the older we get, the more we see how much our parents have sacrificed and done for us. And often, years later, we're very thankful for it. What about friends, family? How about your boss at work? So many things we have to be thankful for to other people. But there is someone who has given us far more than all those people combined. Someone who's done far more than all those things combined, multiplied by a thousand, multiplied by a million. And he is God. God has given us so much. And how are we to respond to that great gift of 
salvation. That great gift of deliverance. That great gift of redemption found only in Jesus Christ. Well, surely, dear friends, it is praise, isn't it? Surely it is thanksgiving. Surely it is forever and ever when we're in heaven. What will we be doing? So when we think of the gifts that we've given other people. When we think of our own children. Trying to teach them to be grateful for what they have been given. We as the people of God. Are the most privileged people. Upon the face of the earth. And we're going to see that this morning as we look at this text in Exodus 15. They were delivered. They were redeemed. And they were brought out of a place of bondage, a place of cruelty, a place of difficulty, a place where they served a cruel taskmaster, Pharaoh. And God rescued them. And he also rescued all of us here who have trusted in Jesus Christ. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Is he your savior? Have you been born again? Well, You have every reason, along with the people of God who were redeemed here, to sing the same praises of our own salvation from spiritual Egypt, from spiritual bondage. So as we think upon this part of God's holy and infallible word, may it make us a more thankful people, a more grateful people, a a people praising God. Our first point this morning is this, praising God for his victory, praising God for his victory. Verse number one, then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake saying, I will sing unto the Lord for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. And indeed in verse 21 later on we see this same victory sung of by Miriam. In verse 21 and Miriam answered them. Sing ye to the Lord for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. We must see what God has done. For us, don't we? We must see what he's done in our place. The people of God here in our text, they've spent hundreds of years wandering, hundreds of years sojourning, hundreds of years looking for their home. This would come in the future. They haven't quite yet got there. They're Canaan to come, that promised land. They spent hundreds of years in bondage under cruel servitude of Pharaoh. And so much so, they were miserable when they were there. And Moses is sent by God as an instrument of deliverance to bring his people out from that place of oppression. Moses asks Pharaoh, would he let his people go? Pharaoh, thinking he's more mighty than God, says no. God brings them out of that place. 
even though Pharaoh hardens his heart many times. And God openly triumphs, shows his victory over Pharaoh, over his enemies, all those who wish to oppress God's people, all those who wish to join in with the seed of the serpent and strike at the heel of the seed of the woman spoken about in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. What has God done for us? What did we need? We all needed victory. But because of death, because of our sin, we have defeat. Death surrounds us. We needed victory over death and over hell. And here, they sing a victory. Here they sing the song of Moses. Here they sing a new song, which the Lord had put in their heart. They celebrate victory. And let us think about this for a second. If we study through history, if if you're into history, you're going to read the books, aren't you, of the victors in history. Very few people read the books of those who are the losers or those who who never had an empire. We read of the Napoleons. We read of the Alexander the Greats. We read of all these people who conquered and triumphed. If you read about sports, you don't often remember the person who lost the final. There's only one team remembered, the victors. And we often praise those people who have been victorious over obstacles and defeated various things. God here is victorious over his enemies. And he shows it time and time again. He shows it before the people of God so that they would know where the victory comes. And he does it all for his glory's sake. And indeed, dear friends, for the sake of his people. First and foremost, for the glory of God. But look at how much he's given us. He's given us this victory, a victory we do not deserve. What enemy did they face? They faced Pharaoh and his army. And by themselves, what chance did they have? See, we read it today and think, well, the horse and the rider? We're not maybe impressed today. But if you lived back then and you have a horse, you have a chariot, you're going to win the battle. Today, we would think of the tank or the nuclear weapon. But back up until about 100 years ago, up until about the First World War, if you have horses, more horses than whoever you're fighting against, that's who's going to win. And he's basically saying the the strongest weapons of the enemy thrown into the sea, defeated. Whatever those enemy, whatever those weapons may be. Let's think about this enemy. Verses four to six. Verses four to six, it says this, Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. This is a very powerful empire here. This is a very powerful enemy. Verse five, the depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord God, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. 
And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sendest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And isn't it interesting that when Pharaoh and his army rose up against God's people, he also rose up against God. Whenever we face trial and difficulty and persecution from the world, they hate you because they hate God. Now, we're to love our enemies, aren't we? And in a large way, we're to pity them because but for the grace of God, there go we. But that other side is the way of defeat. That other side is not the way of victory. Now you may be here this morning and you may think, I've never even been to Egypt. What does this have to do with me? Dear friends, you have been in spiritual Egypt. Either you've been delivered from spiritual Egypt, from the house of bondage, from the city of destruction, where you serve the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now you've been set free, or you are still there. I pray that is not speaking of you here this morning. Do not think that just because you come to a house of worship, therefore you must be a Christian. The Bible warns that there are many tares among the wheat. The question is not, do you come to church? The question is, have you trusted in Jesus Christ? And those are different questions entirely. Are you still a slave of sin? Are you still a slave of the devil? Or have you been set free? I'm not saying are you a perfect person. None of us would reach to that standard. None of us could possibly reach to that standard. But is there a love for Jesus Christ in your heart? So that when you hear the word, it brings comfort to your soul. And you're reminded of the victory you have in Jesus Christ. See, we need reminding, don't we? And this song, this victory that they sung, it was because why? They'd seen the victory right in front of them. They'd seen the defeat of Pharaoh and his armies. They come through the Red Sea following behind. And they're destroyed right in front of them. At the end of chapter 14 in verse 31 it says, And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared God and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Because friends, if we forget this victory, what will happen? We will grumble. We will complain just as much as the people in the wilderness. Just as much as those people said, would we had died in Egypt? Would we had died in the wilderness? Have you read through the book of Numbers and thought, How did they complain so much? They were given so much. And they were given manna in the wilderness. But friends, there go we. If we forget that victory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 it says. In verse 57. But thanks be to God. Which giveth us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So number one. Praising God for his victory. Number two now, praising God for his power. 
for his power. It's not just for what God has done. And it's not just for what God has given us. We should be thankful and praising him forever and ever just for that. But it's more than that. It says in verses 2 and 3. The Lord is my strength and song. And he has become my salvation. He is my God. And I will prepare him an habitation. My father's God. And I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. His power. His power. This is why there's victory. We do not cry out in prayer, dear friends, to a powerless God who may wish to bring us victory but cannot. He can. He does. He redeems. He saves. And without his power, without his might and his strength, there would be no hope for us at all. There's a far greater enemy than Pharaoh that we all face. There's a far greater enemy than that army that pursued the people of God into the middle of the Red Sea and was destroyed. What is it? Our own heart. The world, the flesh, and the devil. However terrifying Pharaoh and his armies were, however terrifying the greatest armies upon the face of the earth, however terrifying perhaps the Russian army is to the Ukrainians, God is far more powerful than all the weapons, all the armies put together. And he's also more powerful than our hearts, our fallen hearts. It's why there is hope. Without him, without his power and his strength, there is no hope. And death is an enemy, isn't it? Death is a cruel enemy. Around this time of year, there's, we remember, don't we, many of the fallen soldiers who died in the First and Second World War. And when you read the names of all those people on those memorials, and you see them, a generation of whole people wiped out, young people. It's still very, very moving even to this day. Death is an enemy. The world will tell you, oh, death is completely normal and natural. We'll tell that to somebody who's grieving. The loss. We know that death is not natural. It is an enemy. But there's a greater enemy, or there's a greater power than death itself. You see, we see this, we see all around us, though everyone dies. And men try to prolong their lives, don't they? Desperately. You know, we, we pour so much money into cancer research and all these things. I'm not saying these things are bad, but we try desperately just to eke out a little bit longer of a life. No, if you go back in, in the Bible, people used to live up, up to 900 years. And now we live, if we're blessed, about 90, maybe 100 years if we're so blessed. Death. Death stalks us all around. 
We are powerless to face death in our own strength. Absolutely powerless. And friends, we need to be at that point where we realize you are powerless. And God is all powerful. Because we look to him and to him alone. He is our strength. The Lord is my strength. And song. See, we can sing with praise. We can sing with joy. We can sing with everlasting praise in our lips. Why? Because he's our strength. If he wasn't our strength, it's empty. Our worship is empty and futile if it is not trusting in an all-powerful God. He brings us victory because of his strength and his power. And friends, even if he did nothing for us, he is still glorious and worthy of our praise for all eternity. You may be here this morning and you may be thinking, and I've heard people say this to me, I have a bad voice, I cannot sing. Perhaps you do. The important thing is that you sing with your heart, all of your heart, in praise to God. You see, we don't sing out of performance in worship so that other men may admire us. It's to God, in and through Jesus Christ. And yes, our worship is feeble, but it's because it's been offered in and through Jesus Christ that has been accepted at all. Do you delight in him? Then we have more reasons to praise him and give thanks. Give thanks alone. You can sing the Psalms by yourself. You can sing the Psalms with your family, with your friends. And most of all, you sing it in the public worship of God. Do not take such a privilege for granted, dear friends. It's a wonderful thing to sing the psalms of Almighty God. For, verse 11, who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? And you know when you've got joy in your heart, what will we do when we have joy in our hearts? So often you will sing, won't you? There's a tune in our hearts. A new song has been placed there because we see his power. We see his glory. We see that he's far greater than all the idols and all the confusion that this world faces. Why do we have such chaos and confusion in our schools, in government? To the point that you can ask a politician, what is a woman? And they are confused. Because they're trusting in idols. They're not trusting in the true and living God. And when you trust in idols, there is confusion because you are not looking to the one who has all power. You are trusting in the thing that is worthy of scorn and ridicule. Because if you look at idols, they are ridiculous. Except to the person who trusts in them. Do you have idols in your heart? Realize they are not all powerful. They cannot help you in time of trouble. 
verses 9 to 10. And Egypt learned this as well. They were trusting in their idols. Verses 9 and 10. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. And then look what happened in verse 10. Thou didst blow with thy wind. The sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. The idols did not help them. And Egypt was filled with idols and judged for its idolatry. And look what happened to them. So praising God for his victory. Praising God for his power. Number three now, praising God for his mercy. Praising God for his mercy. Verse number seven. And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sendest forth thy wrath which consumed them as stubble. And then in verses 12 and 13 of our text, thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them up. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in the strength unto thy holy habitation. Thou in thy mercy. Thou in thy mercy. So God is victorious. So we've seen this victory over his enemies. He will be openly victorious over all his enemies at the end of the world in its fullness. And we've seen of his power. But even if we acknowledge those things, God is victorious, God is powerful. Why do any of us have a right to come into his presence, to worship him. How come we are not under the wrath of God? Like countless people all around us. Why? Is it because we're better than them? There's a real danger, isn't there? That we can start to believe that we are in some way morally superior to those who do not come to church. Oh, there's a real danger, friends. It happened in the first century. The Pharisees thought they were better. They had another gospel, a gospel of self-righteousness of their own works. And then Jesus comes, the most perfect, loving man to ever walk upon the face of the earth. And what did they do to him? They crucified him. I think we forget when we read those gospels, that was a religious generation. External religion alone will not save you. It seems like the most obvious thing to say, but it must be said. Coming to church alone on the Sabbath day, if if it's without faith in Jesus Christ, will only heap more coals of wrath upon your head. You, all the gospel messages you've heard, all the warnings, all the tearful messages of the, of the ministers who cried out to you to come to him. But you never did. It's a fearful thing. Hell is a far more fearful thing for the person who comes to church every single Sabbath but without faith in his heart. 
See, God is merciful. And that's why any of us could go to heaven. That's why any of us can come into his presence. Thou in thy mercy has led forth the people. The people of Israel. The people in that land of Goshen. The people, they were not better than the Egyptians around them. They had been recipients of the mercy of God. That which they did not deserve. How did the enemy respond to them? The enemy outside of the people of God. I will pursue, verse 9. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. That is the heart of unbelief. That is the fruit of unbelief. One of the signs that someone is unconverted. Is they have a hatred for true Christians. Just in the same way these Egyptians had a hatred for the people of God. And it's ultimately against God himself. Verse 7 says this, And in the greatness of thine excellency thou hast overthrown them that rose up against, who? Against thee. Against thee. We may look at this part of God's word and we will see death and destruction and we will and we may look at the, those people in Egypt the Pharaoh and his armies and they've been rightly judged justice has been poured out upon them yes but, but for the grace of God that's us by nature because God is merciful to us We praise God for his mercy. We praise God for his forgiveness. We praise God that we will spend an eternity with him forever and ever. I was looking up a statistic there the other day. Apparently about in the UK, in the United Kingdom, 70 people die every hour. Every hour. So from the beginning of this message until now, how many people have gone into eternity? 20? 30? Just in the United Kingdom alone. We are surrounded by death and destruction. And there's a sense in which it should, shouldn't it, give us a holy urgency to reach the lost. Before they go and stand before God. So the least we can say in our conscience, we did our best. We shared the truth with them. See, by nature, we are spiritual Egypt. By nature, we are part of that army of Pharaoh. By nature, we are those who would pursue and attack and go after the people of God. And I even know that by experience because I used to do it. Before I was a Christian. But the longer we're Christians. Sometimes we can forget. That that's what is in our hearts. God has changed us. Do you love God? Do you love his mercy? Do you praise him for his mercy? Yes imperfectly. It's because God has done a work in your heart. God has changed you to love these things. That's another reason to thank him. 
He's been merciful to show you wonderful things from his precious, holy, and infallible word. To show you the victories. It's a wonderful blessing to have the word of God in our language, isn't it? To have that. To have that love letter from God. To speak to his people. To show revealing things to us. Wonderful things to us. That bless us by reading them. This word mercy as well. It could be translated loving kindness. Other parts of the authorized version. It will translate this word in various ways. And sometimes it will translate it loving kindness. We must not forget that the Lord loves you. With a loving kindness. This word in, in Hebrew is actually very difficult to translate into English exactly. It's mercy, loving kindness, tender mercies. A kind of a love that God shows to his covenant people. We've, we've been given what we don't deserve. But yet we've been given the love of God. The loving kindness of God. So we praise him, don't we? For his mercy. And finally, number four. Praising God for his sanctuary. Praising God for his sanctuary. And what I mean by sanctuary is not the physical building. Not even... In the Old Testament, later on, they would have the inner holy of holies, where the the special presence of God dwelt. Not the building, but the presence, the blessed presence of God. What does it say in verse number 14? In verse number 14, the people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestine. Sorry, verse 13. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. The presence of God. To be brought close. To be nigh unto God. To be close unto God. And you might say this morning, what is the great privilege of that? Now we know that God is omnipresent. Yes, he's everywhere, but there's a special sense in which he is present here this morning amongst us as the people of God, publicly worshiping him. In verse number 20, it says this, And Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after with timbrels and with dances. In the Old Testament, we see Various dances that were there. This is not in the New Testament. But there, it is an expression of joy. Now you say, well, what, what significance does this have for the New Testament? In the New Testament, we're to praise with joy, aren't we? There is a joy. This is all taking place in our hearts. You'll see it sometimes in the Psalms. They'll talk about different instruments. And it's really expressing what is taking place. This joy and overflowing happiness that is in the heart of the believer. Now you may be here this morning and you may be facing difficulty. And trial and affliction. 
You may be facing anxiety and sleepless nights. I'm not saying that the Christian walk is just pure joy all the way to Zion. In this world, we will suffer. But it's also a suffering in this world that is also we still experience in a limited way the joys of heaven to come. We sit currently in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. And though we look forward to the blessings of what will come, we still enjoy it in part. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6. Ephesians and chapter 2 and verse 6. It says this, And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is something that is a current reality. We are in union and communion with Jesus Christ. We are in communion with him today. We are hearing his voice spoken to us today in the reading of the scriptures. Yes, in the preaching. Yes, in the Psalms we hear the the voice of Christ And we will experience it in its fullness in the world to come. And so we experience that closeness, that blessed presence of Almighty God. Why do I say all this? In the midst of battle, in the midst of, there's an army coming behind us. This isn't a time to worship. Oh no, it is a time to worship. Because the most safest place for you to be is in the presence of Almighty God. The favor of God, the face of God to shine upon you, is the most important thing for you, for your family, for your future. Everything else comes a distant second. The most important meeting of your week is not a business meeting that may determine your future. No, God determines your future. And it's all in His hands. The good things... And the bad things. I say the bad things as well. Because often the bad things come into our lives. Well. It's all for a good. Holy and righteous reason. We may not have the answer. At this moment in time. But God knows what is best. Friends. We're not machines. We can't do things in our own strength. We need God close to us. Here in this sanctuary, in this building. It's not just filling our minds. It's not just information to go into our brains. It's more than that. In the New Testament, children came up to Jesus. Very young infants. And what did the disciples do? They rebuked them. But Jesus welcomed them. And what did he do with those infants who probably didn't understand very much? He blessed them. Everyone who comes into the presence of God, young, old, rich, and poor, is blessed. We are blessed by coming to be here. We're blessed not because of the preacher or anything else like that. We're blessed because we've met with Jesus Christ. 
We find blessing in him. We find victory in him. His blessed sanctuary. You see, the strength does not lie in horses. It doesn't lie in chariots. It doesn't lie in money. It doesn't lie in your home. It doesn't lie in all the things that we, we think will protect ourselves. It doesn't even lie in your degree. I'm not saying these things are bad. In college or anything else, these things will not protect you. We need God's presence. We need to meet with Christ. We need to do it regularly depending upon him. Just some words for application as we conclude. Do you struggle to praise God? You may be a, a sincere believer, but you will go through times of difficulty where, where worship will seem like a great chore and a toil. But is it possible that you may be neglecting parts of your private worship? Perhaps your reading of scripture, maybe you're reading faster. Maybe you're rushing through things and other things have crowded out spending time with God either alone or with your family. You see, the people of God praised him here because they were reminded. They saw the victory right in front of them. We need to be reminded of the victory. We need to be reminded of reasons to praise him. Because if we forget these praises or reasons to praise him, what will happen? We will go into that wilderness and five minutes later, we will forget And we will grumble and complain. We need to spend serious time with God. I'm not saying how much time that is. But make time with God. That relationship with God far more important than any other relationship you have in this world. And out of that relationship, there will be blessings for you and your family and your marriages and other things. Because God is wise. But do you also worry? Perhaps in your worship, there isn't that joy. You you have anxiety in your heart. May the Lord help us to not worry and to help our own belief. We all struggle with this. I'm not somebody coming to you saying, I don't have anxieties. I do. But I urge you, friend, take your eyes off whatever is causing that anxiety, that idol that is robbing you of joy, and set your eyes on Jesus Christ. You see, if our eyes are on God and his power and his glory and his kingdom, why would we worry? We do worry, but it doesn't make sense, does it, why we do? Tell me, dear friends, he has put the horse and the chariot into the sea. What do we need to worry? God is victorious. Let us pray. Let us call before the Lord.